Why, hello there. How are you? I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. In today's installment of RC, I called upon one of my best friends, Alex, to help me write, or orate more accurately, an earnest and touching ode to the man who lives in a pineapple under the sea. If your mind instantly conjured up the image of an anthropomorphic sea sponge, you've got great taste. We're taking a fond look back at the 1999 smash hit animated series, SpongeBob SquarePants. We discuss SpongeBob's singularity as a character, the compelling dynamic between SpongeBob and his platonic other half, Squidward, the show's ambitious plan to help raise the next generation of Marxists and its critique of workplace culture. Okay, that one's not so true. Grab a blanket, glass of wine optional, and join us as we reflect on the impact of this unforgettable piece of television. And of course, follow Retrospection Connection on Instagram at Retrospection Connection and email me at retrospectconnect2001 at gmail.com with shows that you'd like to hear discussed or if you'd like to be featured yourself. Enjoy. audience. I am joined by one of my writer dies here, one of my very good friends, and I'm especially proud to have them on during Pride Month. My gay brother, Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and also explain a little bit about how we met. Sure. Yeah. My name is Alex and I'm from Oregon. I'm in LA now. I don't know. That's all you need to know for now. You'll learn more about me uh, as the show goes on. But Jalen and I met, uh, we were orientation leaders together. It's kind of funny to think of it that way now because we spent one summer of a lot of bonding together, but like our friendship has endured, stood the test of time. And it's it's been like four years since then now. I don't think of you as my orientation friend. You're just, you're Jalen, you're maybe my UCLA friend because that's where we initially met and like where we probably hung out for the first few dozen times. That's in the past now, but that was the beginning. That's something that I always appreciated about our friendship is that it's always forward moving and progressive. And that's something I always try to strive for in all of my relationships. Wherever we start is not where we should be at forever. And I like that we're allowed to grow with each other. And I'm so glad that you're a part of this experience with me because this is pivotal for me in terms of expressing my interests, being creative and sharing stuff with people. So thank you for being a part of this journey with me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I was a big supporter from day one of the idea and I love it. And I think most everyone has something from their childhood, some media that they are passionate to talk about. So I think it's wonderful. Yay. 
Well, before we get into the show that we're talking about, I always like to ask my guest members, how would you describe your relationship to popular culture as well as popular media growing up? Talk to me about that. I mean, I was blessed to grow up in a household where there weren't super strict rules about what I did and didn't watch. So I did watch a lot of TV, a lot of kids shows in particular. And I think there were some rules around like the amount of TV and screen time. But I'm grateful to have been a kid who was allowed to watch kids shows because I, I think that's all too common. You hear of people who, whose parents didn't let them watch shows that were a little too crude or had some adult humor mixed in, but I had the freedom for that. So I had that quintessential 2000s kid experience of, of watching the iconic shows of that era. Like I was born in 99. So my early childhood, mid childhood was the 2000s. And that was most of the media that I was consuming growing up. I mean, admittedly, I cannot relate to that at all. I grew up in a more strict household. Yeah. I guess, relatively speaking, I still had that traditional 2000s kids media experience. But I'm curious, like for you, growing up in a more, I guess, liberated household uh, as a kid and being able to watch more of what you wanted, how do you feel like that set you up for how you consume and engage with media now as an adult? I think it's probably made my taste a little more flexible or a little more willing to get a show recommended to me that I, I wouldn't typically watch or gravitate towards, like always just being open to whatever, because I would just watch whatever was on the TV. I mean, I don't think like the experience of watching adult shows as a kid I just don't buy into the notion that that's going to rot your brain in any way. Like there, there's a line that you probably don't want to cross with kids, but like we watched The Simpsons growing up. And of course, that has a lot of adult humor in it. And I'm sure I didn't get basically any of it, but like I enjoyed that experience and it's a fond memory to look back on now, you know? I totally get what you're saying. I feel like there's both an overestimation of the impact of media on young people and also an underestimation. And it just depends on what particular show or movie you're talking about. You're talking about The Simpsons. Yeah, there's some adult subject matter. Of course, it's an adult sitcom, but you seem like you're doing well. It didn't rot your brain like you were saying. You've actually become a very productive member of society. And look, I've never been a parent, so I can't say how that might feel to put your child in front of a TV and hope that they're not susceptible to any bad messaging or anything like that. But I think sometimes that fear is a little bit greater than maybe what it should be. You can be exposed to some things and it doesn't permanently alter the way that you view the world or that you view yourself. Another thing that I would add is that I think my sense of humor is influenced for the better for the ability to watch those shows growing up, especially going back and watching them as an adult and understanding the nuances of the humor of those shows and just like the beauty of that. I think that makes such a bigger impact if you're like, wow, I, I watched this. I sat through all of this as a kid without seeing the beauty of this fantastically funny show that was right in front of my eyes without even noticing. It was just a cartoon to me, you know? So you think you have a more nuanced understanding of comedy in media now uh, that you had that opportunity to take it all in when you were a lot younger? Yeah. Well, I think that that is an almost too perfect lead in 
to the show that we're going to be talking about today. Alex, do you want to let the viewers know what show are we talking about today? Yes, we are going to be talking about the one and only SpongeBob SquarePants. It's a pretty niche show. I don't know. Most people probably haven't heard of it, but uh, you'll learn a lot today. Don't you worry. Yeah, it's one of those like in the cut sort of you, you had to be there things. You've probably never seen an image of this guy. It's giving cult classic for sure. And everybody that's heard of SpongeBob SquarePants knows that we're in fact gagging you all. We're lying. This is probably the most popular cartoon that's come out in the past 30 years. I'm sure there's some other contenders that can give them a run for their money, but it's certainly a generation defining show, I would say. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. To me, it's not arguably the most iconic cartoon of our generation. Like it is. I don't know what even compares. I think the only argument to be made is something like Mickey Mouse, but that's more of just like a corporate icon to me, you know? So it's a little less so an iconic cartoon. It's an iconic brand, maybe. I think I think SpongeBob, there's nothing like it. I think that's a fantastic point because my mind went to that place too. Mickey Mouse, in terms of iconic imagery, certainly gives SpongeBob a run for their money. And I would argue on the whole is the more iconic figure. But in terms of the media itself, the actual content, the entertainment, the show itself, absolutely SpongeBob stands first in line for our generation at least. So it is a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And I'm just going to let it go where it goes. I'm excited to talk about some different themes that stuck with you, aspects of the show that you want to discuss at length. I'm more than happy to do that with you. But before we get into it, I always like to give some context for the show so that the one or two people that have never heard of this show, we can clear the air for them and make sure that they have an understanding of what we're going to be talking about. So a basic premise of the show, SpongeBob SquarePants chronicles the adventures of the titular character and his aquatic friends in the fictional underwater city of Bikini Bottom. SpongeBob is an energetic and optimistic yellow sea sponge who lives in a submerged pineapple. SpongeBob has a childlike enthusiasm for life, which carries over to his job as a fry cook at the fast food restaurant called the Krusty Krab. So that's the basic premise from Wikipedia. My listeners at this point know I'm not going to do substantial research. I'm going to find it from the easiest source that I possibly can. I'm breaking all of my teacher's hearts by just going straight to Wikipedia. With that being said, is there anything intrinsic to the show that you feel is missing from what I just said? <laughs> Everything. Wikipedia is doing what Wikipedia does best, and it's giving you like the very basic overview of the show. And that's the premise of it. He's a sponge who lives in a pineapple under the sea and works with the Krusty Krab. But there's all of the social commentary built into the show of the working class, which SpongeBob and Squidward, they represent that in the, all of the happenings of the Krusty Krab. And uh, I think it's also missing the cultural impact of the show. It's, it's a lot more than a show to our generation. It's built into the vocabulary of memes. There's no side of the internet, regardless of what the interest or political alignment, like everyone's humor is able to be communicated through SpongeBob. And it's probably the most recognizable cartoon on the internet. The images of SpongeBob that have been turned into memes and some quotes as well, 
there's just nothing that compares to that. And it's almost just this language that, that a lot of our generation is able to communicate through. 100%. I think what you're getting at is that this show is an institution, especially the character of SpongeBob SquarePants, but the show at large is so meaningful to so many people, whether they fully realize it or not. What you were illustrating so well is that it extends beyond generation lines and class lines, race lines, any sort of differentiating factor between people. I think that SpongeBob transcends that, especially when it comes to internet humor, like you were saying. The amount of memes that I've gotten from so many different people, my peers, as well as like elders that are in my family. I'm like, you know, SpongeBob, like, why are you sharing this meme with yeah. me? But it's so translatable and relatable to so many different people, which is why I think it's been allowed to endure as long as it has since I believe it started on May 1st, 1999, which mm -hmm. for the audience, that's just a little bit before my friend Alex was born. Yeah. Which is insane. It was just about my due date. I was, I was a late baby. So I could have been born on the, the SpongeBob premiere. You know, I, I was in the womb, but um, probably had my first exposure to SpongeBob a few weeks after. Wow, that's beautiful. SpongeBob in some way brought you into this world. And that's poignant. That's dope. While we're on that tip, why are we talking about SpongeBob? I think we just wrote an ode, a love letter to SpongeBob just now. But like, I think we all have our personal relationship to the show and why it matters so much to us. So for you... Why is this the show that you wanted to come and speak to me about on Retrospection Connection? The idea of the show to me is to talk about a show that was either important to your childhood or one that in your adulthood can make you reflect back on your childhood and have some, some key and observations on all that. And it's both of those things to me because... I grew up watching it. It was definitely by far my favorite TV show as a kid. And then in college, I rewatched the first three seasons and I've rewatched them to the point where like I can quote most of the episodes. It's just the experience of watching it as an adult was just so wonderful because I understood the appeal to adults. I understood like why it was a show that like my parents even liked when I put on rather than most of the other kids TV shows because a lot of the humor it's something that we can all relate to as adults probably more so than we even could as kids the dynamics between the characters and the institutions that play in the show it's a reflection of society I mean I, I know there are people out there probably laughing at all this because it's a cartoon about a sea sponge and, and you <laughs> might not have watched it since you were five years old, but you got to go back and rewatch it uh, because so much of it, it is for the parents to understand it and the kids will get it later in their lives. One of the best things about this show to me is, well, what I feel that you're getting at is that this show has mastered talking to its audience rather than talking at its audience. There's intention to like, take its viewer seriously, even though we were all very young children at the time that we were watching it. It did not for a second consider that the kids watching it were stupid. 
or that we mm -hmm. couldn't understand complex themes or that we weren't interested in understanding the complexity of the world that we live in or even a whole different world like Bikini Bottom. Because there are some complex themes. And like you were saying, there may be some people that are laughing at us because it's like, it's not that deep. Some episodes are not that deep. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's all in good fun. But this is the joy of retrospection connection that we're able to look yeah. back and think about maybe what the creators and the writers did have intended. So it's all in good fun what we're doing. Yeah. Even as a kid, I got some of it that it's our world just under the sea. And it's like the Krusty Krab is just like any fast food restaurant that we had probably experienced. It is the world that we experience as humans, but through these kind of just absurd characters. Wow. I, I keep hearing absurd in some of the recordings that I'm doing for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Most of these episodes have not come out, y'all. It'll make more sense in retrospect when you hear some of these episodes. But I like when shows take absurd scenarios or absurd settings. And by that, I just mean like things that are so far from our current reality, like living underwater or being in space. I'm going to have a, a Star Trek episode in a, in a few. So like you take these settings or circumstances that are so far removed from where we're at, and it kind of allows you to take in the grounded stories that are being told, mm -hmm. the realistic stories that are being told, because it's not, you're not being hit over the head with it. And you're able to sort of look at it from a more aerial view since you, you don't live under the sea. So you're like, okay, they're not narrating my life. So I can kind of look at this a little bit more it's, chill. They're not interrogating my way of life. These are people that live under the sea. Like this is mm -hmm. a whole different thing. And then it allows you to take in what they're saying and reflect on it. And you're like, no, yeah. Like a person that works in food service can probably mm -hmm. intimately relate to what it's like for SpongeBob and Squidward working at the Krusty Krab. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is no limit to what you can do on a show where there's no rules to how the SpongeBob universe has to work. There's a squirrel living underwater. You can blow a bubble into whatever shape you want. It's like when you're not governed by the rules of science, you can create all of these absurdities. You know, the, I think the imagination episode is like the perfect example of that, right? It's an episode where SpongeBob and Patrick order a TV and they order it for the sole purpose of the enjoyment they can get in the box that the TV came in. And Squidward thinks that these are fools, these are idiots. He takes the TV and, and SpongeBob and Patrick have no problem with that at all. And they spend a whole day in the box using their imagination, that, that meme with the rainbow going over his head. Quick Google search will, will lead you to an image that you'll probably recognize. With that imagination, they can go on these journeys and fight monsters. They can be pirates. Like They can do absolutely anything they want. And Squidward has that TV, which, you know, that's the most basic form of entertainment that I think most of us engage with. And he can't find any pleasure in it. And it's just almost envious over the experience that SpongeBob and Patrick are having with their imagination. And that's like the whole show is just how the writers of the show can make up whatever rules or whatever situations they want. And it's fun and we accept it. And it's just an incredible 11 minute experience every episode for the first three seasons 
but we don't have to dissect every little happening of the SpongeBob episode because if we did, we would be like, what the fuck is going on? This, you know, <laughs> there's very little semblance of reality there in a lot of just like the more slapstick style humor, but the social interpersonal happenings of the show, that is more the human part of it to me, you know? Well, that makes me think, because you were saying some things that for you differentiate the show from like others that were on at the time, but like, let's have a bit of a conversation about that. When we were talking about doing this episode, you mentioned Saturday cartoon lineup when you were growing up. And so yeah. you'd watch things like Jimmy Neutron, Fairly Odd Parents, uh, Danny Phantom. These were all shows that were running concurrently during the beginning yes. of SpongeBob's run. There's also the Rugrats, which was the reigning cartoon on Nickelodeon until SpongeBob came along. And then mm -hmm, SpongeBob right. is that girl now. I'm curious to know if you could pinpoint it, what about SpongeBob makes it unique from some of the other cartoons mm. that you watched around that time? Yeah. Oh, that's tough because I wonder how a lot of those shows would be looking back on them. I did rewatch an episode of Jimmy Neutron recently, and it's it's just not the same. I, oh. I hope that's not hurting anyone's feelings because I did. I loved it as a kid, but not as much as SpongeBob. And once you see a lot of these as adults, you're like, okay, they follow like a very specific formula that gets very repetitive and predictable, which for a kid, you're probably not going to uh, get bored of that. You know, it's it's just the instant gratification of boy genius on your TV. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I think probably the thing that kept me watching SpongeBob and, and thinking about it more than any other show was just Tom Kenny. Like that voice is just so infectious. It might be also the most famous animated character voice, such a unique voice. And you hear now even like the TikTok voice filters that to me sound like they're trying to imitate the sound of SpongeBob. It's, it's just totally a are. voice that's so universally recognized. And I think when you're a kid, it's funny to you. I'm sure that's that's probably why kids are able to like cling on to it after maybe watching just one episode. It's going to be a show that you remember, I think, because of Tom Kenny, because of that voice. You're so right, though. His voice is, I want to say the word is idiosyncratic. It's just very particular to SpongeBob. and I feel like there are a few voice actors that come to my mind. You get a lot of voice actors that are doing shows that define a generation and they're great, but I feel like there's a lot of crossover between one role that they did and then another role that they've done. Mm -hmm. And they start to feel a little bit less unique for that reason. SpongeBob and that voice has stood the test of time because I don't think I've ever heard a voice that sounds like that. Have you? No, I can't imagine the show continuing to go on without Tom Kenny. And he's getting kind of old. I have to, I think he's like 60, 65. <laughs> and I don't know if he has any plans of retirement, but it just, gosh, it would not be the same show with a different voice of SpongeBob. It's so hard to imagine. Okay, here's an interesting take. I think that this rise of AI like the next voice actor of SpongeBob could be AI generated because I hear this AI generated SpongeBob and it is very, very accurate and close to Tom Kenny's voice. And I don't think any human can even come close to that. 
I was just thinking that it please get out of my brain because I was thinking that like you alluded to a little bit earlier, the TikTok videos that kind of use the SpongeBob voice filter, they'll transpose like songs over it or just like words that SpongeBob usually wouldn't say like a bunch of curse words or something. And it's, it's all in good fun. I enjoy them. They're funny. I'm not in the industry. I don't know what they're going to do, but I could imagine that they're going to use AI if for whatever reason, Tom Kenny, the original voice actor is no longer available to voice SpongeBob because SpongeBob is still making Nickelodeon a lot of money. They would never end the franchise as a whole. They found a way to, to keep it going. And now they have all kinds of spinoffs and uh, I don't even want to get into it because it, it makes me sad to see what they have done with the show that was my childhood. But it, one of the original big, creators, their dying, their dying wish was to not have it spawn off into a bunch of spinoffs and things like that. So it is heartbreaking on that level too, to see where the franchise as a whole has gone. But let's stay in Happy Land. Let's stay in the part of SpongeBob that meant so much to you and has shaped you into the person that you are now. So something that I really liked that you talked about a little bit earlier was like the character dynamics. And that was a part of the reason why this show has had such a lasting impact on you. I'm wondering, like, are there any that you would want to talk about today that you feel like make the show what it is? Yeah, so I I think the most important character dynamic to the show has to be between SpongeBob and Squidward, because they are two sea creatures who work at the Krusty Krab and have relatively bland, unexciting lives, but their outlooks on the situation differ drastically. They are foils for one another in the sense that SpongeBob represents finding the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm and everything, no matter how lousy the circumstances are. Whereas I think Squidward resonates with a lot of us as adults because we're SpongeBob and Squidward working those nine to five jobs and it can be miserable and we can get in our feelings about it and we can feel undervalued and that's a lot more real of an experience for all of us I think than being SpongeBob and being able to find so much joy in all of it which you know I, I think as kids that was very different where we we saw SpongeBob and he was the reason we kept watching the show and what we thought about when we thought about the show was just that energy. It, it was a beautifully written show in the sense that there was one character, the main character, SpongeBob, that that you resonate with the most as a kid and then watching it back as an adult. And I think this is another reason why it's so good for retrospection connection, the idea of your podcast. Going back as an adult, you're watching it and Squidward is just hilarious and so relatable to you. Give us a little bit more context about who Squidward is for maybe anybody that hasn't watched the show, because I think you're spot on that they are perfect foils for, for one another, Squidward and SpongeBob. They see the world so differently. How would you describe Squidward and how do you feel like you relate to them maybe more now as an adult? Squidward Tentacles is 
an employee of the Krusty Krab. He is the cashier and he also has a passion for the clarinet. Any artistic endeavors are central to Squidward's character when he's outside of the Krusty Krab. He does have this sense that he has this unique talent and ability that is underappreciated by society. He is forced to conform to the demands of society and capitalism and working this minimum wage job at the Krusty Krab. He doesn't have a great attitude about it. And he also doesn't have a great attitude about, about fun, about excitement. His neighbors, SpongeBob and Patrick, and all of the nonsense that they get up to. Squidward is a little too mature, a little too grown up for all that's going on outside his house. He's trying to practice the clarinet and, and advance his artistic career and thinks there's no time in life for idiotic fun, as Woodward would probably put it. So what I'm kind of getting, their interplay together, the way that they interact with each other, it seems like SpongeBob has, if you want to put it into a metaphor, he has more of like that glass half full view of the world where he's willing to roll with the punches and see negative things as like something to turn into a positive or as Squidward has a tendency to view things as more glass half empty. Something bad happens and he's like, well, this is great. This is how my life mm -hmm. is. Like he's yeah, so used yeah. to things not going his way. And there's like a jadedness to his character that like, for better or worse, I think we all can kind of relate to, mm -hmm. especially for, for those of us that maybe went to college and are, are just entering the real world, so to speak. It's very jarring to go from having this support network that had so many fail safes to make sure that if you did make a mistake, there's so many ways to rectify that and to make sure that whatever consequences could have been accrued by that mistake basically go away generally speaking. And now we're kind of thrust into real life and the mistakes that we make have legitimate consequences. When I was watching the show as a kid, obviously that was not something that I was thinking about, especially not in the context of the show, but like Squidward, when you watch it back as an adult, he's intimately aware of how his life is impacting him and how it keeps him away from his hobbies and the things that he's really passionate about as somebody that's trying to get into hobbies and the struggle mm -hmm. of developing that part of your life when you're doing work for eight hours of the day and then you're trying to maintain relationships with people to think about adding playing the clarinet in Squidward's mm -hmm. case or in my case developing and producing a podcast <laughs> it's a lot harder than I would have imagined yeah. Uh, when I was in college or even younger. So I certainly resonate with, with Squidward 100%. Yeah. I think another thing is like when, when things don't go Squidward's way, like blaming the circumstances, blaming society, that things just never work out for him. The universe is rooting against him. And SpongeBob, I mean, I don't know that SpongeBob has moments of negativity toward society toward any other yeah. characters he sees the good in everyone and everything and a way that i think we can all learn from that when things don't go your way there probably are other circumstances at play that are very unfortunate but 
the way to get past that is just to power through is just to to keep up the energy and to make the best of the circumstances as they are and it, it, they might be quite mediocre but if you have that perseverance that I think SpongeBob has and and I, that I can see now but I definitely didn't understand watching it as a kid like that things can work out Something really interesting about the show that kind of connects to what you were saying was like, I believe initial conceptions of the show had SpongeBob being a child and then a crucial change that was made before the original show was that SpongeBob was made to be an adult, just like Squidward. Yeah. And I think that that provides a lot of interesting commentary on what it means to be an adult and the different ways that you can approach what life throws at you. Because I feel like while we can all certainly relate to Squidward and how he navigates life and being just fed up, frankly, with like the cards that you're dealt at any given period of time, I think we can also learn a thing or two from SpongeBob. He, like you mentioned before, lives a mundane life just like mm -hmm. Squidward, at least on paper. They both work at this minimum wage job. They live in this seemingly small town mm -hmm. and you just see how differently they approach their lives and the interventions that they make to try to keep things interesting spongebob has an imagination to him a creativity to him that won't allow him to submit to the harshness of the world yeah yeah he's in a an but he hasn't lost that childlike wonder, that youth, that Squidward has absolutely lost. And I mean, there are rare moments where Squidward has a triumph, has a moment of happiness, and those can be very powerful, but he doesn't allow himself on a day-to-day -to, -day to feel those things and express those things. Which sounds like me, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if that sounds like you at all, but it 100%. sounds like me, it yeah. sounds like sounds like a lot of my friends, my family, and it's hard not to get caught up in that. But that makes me think of a question that I want to ask you. You're somebody that I look at and I see some of that childlike wonder that SpongeBob has. Oh, you, so to me, seem like a, a very glass half full sort of guy. And that's something that I try to emulate in my life as much as I can. What is your secret? to that, mm -hmm. trying to maintain an optimistic worldview, trying to believe that things can get better, even in the yeah. moment when it feels like it can't be. Well, thank you. I don't know if I see myself that way all the time. So that's very sweet. I think you just got to roll with the punches. You know, I have my fair share of bad days too. And I think part of it is sometimes allowing those to be bad days and feeling all the feels, expressing your emotions however you need to. But that's a bad day. That's not a bad week. That's not a bad year. That's not bad circumstances in your entire life. You have to move past it. That's what I try to do. I, I think we all have some things to be grateful for. We have our fair share of good days, especially if we celebrate the small wins. That's something I try to do for myself is celebrate those small wins, whether that means like, going out for a drink or or just allowing myself to have free time unbothered not uh, in front of a computer working my job like just enjoying my life and 
finding purpose and finding meaning and happiness outside of, you know, what I have to do to, to pay the bills and to keep myself afloat. You know, there's a lot of good to be found outside of that. And even in that, you know, I think it's, it's important to not be miserable with what you do in your day to day, which I, I'm very lucky to say that I'm not and I, I do enjoy what I do. You know, it's not like a, a lifelong passion in the way that like, I think you see Squidward talking about art and clarinet, but it's important to find something that you're at least somewhat happy. And I use the word somewhat kind of as a qualifier because I think mm -hmm. there is a lot of value in just outside of that, finding yes. much more purpose and happiness, but, but just finding something that you're following the rules of these circumstances in society. And then outside of that, you can make much more of it. Absolutely. What I was getting from what you were saying is that there's so many things that we cannot control. And as hard as we fight, society is going to society. Life is going to life. There are so many uncontrollable factors in our lives. But I think it's important to remind ourselves of the agency that we do have and the control, the autonomy that we can take over our lives in our perspectives, as hard as it can be sometimes, I have to remind myself, you get to decide a lot of how you take in this experience. Are you going to treat it as something that's going to wreck you and you're not going to be able to rebuild from? Or are you looking at it as a learning opportunity where you can grow from this moment? Trust me, it is a lot easier said than done. And I scoff at myself in those actual moments when I'm like, that is some bullshit. Mm -hmm. I know, me too. And I have moments when things are, are going well. And I just think next time when things don't go my way, I'm going to be able to bounce back from it. But it's a lot harder in the moment to, to keep up that same energy. And I, I think the point is to just try your absolute best to do that. Maybe sometimes you can't, and it's going to be pretty shitty, but you'll get through it. I think that is an amalgamation of both Squidward and SpongeBob. Mm -hmm. Being practical, being realistic about where you're at and not judging yourself for feeling some type of way about it. Because I feel like sometimes SpongeBob only tries to see the positive. And I think in order to appreciate what you've got in life and where you're at, you have to acknowledge that, yeah, right now I'm feeling shitty. Yeah. That is going to happen. And you can't shove that part down either. So there's something to admire in Squidward, I would say. But then also, yeah, trying to engage with that more childlike version of yourself that's willing to fall and get back up and fall mm -hmm. and get back up. I saw this TikTok recently that was like, it was a little stand-up comedy bit. I'm not going to do it justice, but it was something like, when you're a kid, you can have the most humiliating experience and you are just expected to bounce back from it. Like mm -hmm. everyone is laughing at you in class and then next day, just go to class like normal and everything is fine. Like go home and, and have dinner with your parents. And like, if that happened to you, imagine like being in a work meeting and everyone laughing at something you said that would destroy you. But as a kid, that doesn't affect you. You're very unfazed by those moments. And I mean, it, it can be tough. I, I think having that as a kid is like, you know, you might you might have a moment and like cry a little bit and, and need to be comforted by a parent or a teacher, but like you bounce back from it a lot easier than I would say you could as an adult. 
there's a greater expectation for how things should be when you're an adult. And so when things go off course and you have to acknowledge when things don't go the way that they're supposed to, it's so embarrassing. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to just be like, well, it happened, move on. But that's a lesson for life, I guess, right? We we have to capture that spirit from childhood a little bit more and like pick ourselves up again. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the characters, especially SpongeBob and Squidward. It's an ensemble show for a lot of it. So there's frankly a lot of characters that we're not doing justice. And I hope the audience is okay with that. Yeah. What I want to talk about a little bit, and we've addressed it, is society in the show and how these characters in particular like navigate that. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about like that theme of society and the role that their work plays in each of their lives and like how differently they approach that? Definitely. Definitely. I think what you're probably getting at is just their dynamic with their work life with the Krusty Krab. And also I think we have to bring Mr. Krabs in the conversation at this point. So <laughs> second, another character off the list uh, that we're able to get to, but we're not doing every character justice. And there are quite a few side characters too that are worth a whole separate podcast. <laughs> Honestly, it's, the characters just have, have such amazing moments to them. But Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob and Squidward dynamic is, is hilarious and I think reflects just a lot of dynamics between employees and supervisors and bosses and employees' relationship with the institution of capitalism. It's just so funny. It's You don't get any of it as a kid because what kid can tell you about the nuances of capitalism or even knows that we live in a capitalist system, but that's exactly what the Krusty Krab is to this world is this capitalist institution. A good episode to talk about with that is the Krusty Krab training video. Like it, <laughs> it feels like a corporate training video and the uh, ice cubes, Mr. Krabs describes as automated beverage temperature control. It's like everything is a mechanical automated system in this capitalist machine of the crusty crab or the straw he hasn't it's like a liquid dispensing machine for the straw <laughs> and, uh, yeah it's all very detached from the human or in this case like the aquatic experience yeah. it feels very like removed from maybe how you would describe something as like just a drink it's like no this is like a mm -hmm. liquid like i don't know they would describe yeah. it in a more detached sort of way. You know, I'm a year out of college, so I'm new to this world of like full-time work culture and like having a supervisor. Luckily, my supervisor is not quite like Mr. Krabs, but I'm certainly contending with this weird relationship that you have with this person that's supposed to be your superior, where there are moments where it's like, oh, maybe this person really cares for me. Maybe they think about me. They want the best for me. I hope on some level that that's true, mm -hmm. but you can also feel that sort of like bottom line vibe. The supervisor needs you to get a certain amount of work done within a certain yeah. time frame, And like that is at the core of it, the most important thing to that person yeah. as far as you're concerned. 
You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's this conflict of motives of the, the supervisor, the owner, the CEO wanting to make the business as successful as possible and make the most money as possible. And that is Mr. Krabs sole goal over any ounce of humanity or empathy. Squidward, I think, shows a lot more empathy throughout the show than Mr. Krabs ever does. This is an episode actually that's after the golden era of SpongeBob. And it's one of the few that I've watched after the first five is like season nine or 10, where Mr. Krabs fires SpongeBob and replaces him with an automated robot. And, and it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that it's very close to home in the, in the world we're living in in 2023, right? But yeah. Squidward gets to stay because he has seniority. It, I, it was a very good thematic episode that felt closer to OG seasons one through three of SpongeBob and just have that commentary on capitalism that I think a lot of us that enjoy the show as adults really appreciate about the show. Right. Now, something that I liked about what you just said, you said that Mr. Krabs oftentimes like didn't consider the humanity of his employees or the empathy that's needed to like reinforce community. But I feel like that's a really big part of the show that I think a lot of us love, both when we were kids and also looking back, is this feeling of community. Yeah. Save Mr. Krabs. He's a whole <laughs> other entity. Right. But some of the best episodes of the show are framed around these characters coming together and supporting one another. One that we watched in preparation for this episode was Band Geeks. Do you mm -hmm. want to give like a quick synopsis for that sure. episode yeah. and like how it captures that theme of community and coming together? Yeah, Band Geeks is an incredible episode. Squilliam, who is Squidward's arch nemesis from high school. Another one that like as an adult, I don't know, it, I think a lot of people probably had like a person in mind when they when they see Squilliam, right? Um, so Squilliam offers Squidward the opportunity to perform with his band at the Bubble Bowl, which is like the Super Bowl in Bikini Bottom, with just like this pompous attitude that, that Squidward's going to fail. And of course, nothing goes Squidward's way in the preparation. He's the band conductor and dealing with a lot of people who are a lot of fish, I should say sea creatures that have absolutely no idea what they're doing and <laughs> just decides uh, I'll just tell them that you all died in a marching accident <laughs> um and then spongebob to the rescue our hero our protagonist on the final night of their rehearsal comes up with this just magical musical performance at the bubble bowl and they show up and perform sweet victory and it was even you know, upon the death of steven hillenberg there was a rumor going around that the cast of spongebob would be performing sweet victory at the super bowl halftime show when it didn't happen there was like a three second little tribute to steven hillenberg but it was just such a memorable moment for people who watched those first few seasons i mean it was a moment of the bikini bottom community coming together and it was just it was so triumphant it's one of those again those rare moments where squidward has a win and i think that's also what makes it so memorable is we're so used to this guy getting the short end of the stick or things just not working out for him so when he has that win it feels like a win for the audience it feels so magical to see this character who is dealt hand after hand of losses shove it in his arch nemesis's face that he was able to conduct that performance. It's great. If you've never watched Band Geeks, go watch it. Do your homework. That This is just a 
a cultural moment for anyone who grew up in the 2000s or was was alive in the 2000s and is alive today. It's, it's an important part of, of what that show means. I think that episode, a lot of people consider it one of the best or the best. I, I would say it's one of the best. I'm not ready to I, choose my favorite episode. That's so tough. But. That's like choosing your favorite child. I would never ask you to do that. No. It is such an impactful episode and we root for Squidward, especially now as an adult, because now I can see how difficult it probably is to lean into community and rely on people to be there for you and to show up for you when you need it the most. It's very hard, especially for those of us that like either explicitly or implicitly were taught that nobody's going to get it done except you. You can't rely on people to be there for you when you need that help, when you need that support. And so it's really hard as an adult to learn that, like, you may not want to do that, but there are some things that you simply cannot do all on your own. You need a network. You need community. You need people that are looking out for you. Mm -hmm. And, and it's an exercise in learning to embrace that. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And it's something that in the show... Squidward is a character who doesn't think that he needs it in certain moments, but he does need it. One episode that comes to mind is SB129. That's the future episode. But a scene that a lot of people probably remember is when he is in this empty void of nothingness. There's just like this tweet that's recycled like every week of like, this was my first existential crisis, which I'm tired of seeing it, but I, I get it. That was a common experience of like, there was nothing. He was completely alone. I, I think that was one that um, it was a powerful scene because kids got the intensity of the situation mm -hmm. in a way that I think we can only see that intensity in Squidward moments as adults, but not one. It just felt so empty. It was such a well done scene and he's alone and he, he thinks that's all he wants. And then he freaks out and, and realizes he needs to go back to Bikini Bottom and he misses SpongeBob. And that's something that is just out of character for how we usually see Squidward. Another one that comes to mind is that Squidville episode where he moves to that gated community and he just goes crazy that everything is just monotonous every day is structured the same exact way with the same exercise classes and trip to the supermarket and routine and knows that he needs that community of bikini bottom we see this in a character like squidward too in those moments where he lacks it um he he does belong in bikini bottom even though we're, yeah. we're often led to believe that based on his attitude he needs to get out of there uh, is such a well-written character in that sense of, of especially those episodes, having those moments. You don't expect him to have those kinds of reactions, but, but he does. It's like, however unconscious it is in him, he craves that contrast, that difference from himself. It speaks to my own life and perhaps you can relate. Like we all need that different yeah. energy that foils our own. And as much as we may resent it or we get frustrated with it, we may not understand it. I think our lives would be lacking something if we mm -hmm. didn't have those people in our lives that like brought something different. Yeah. And those moments that you picked out in the show, I think were so impactful because Squidward had to acknowledge just how much those things color his life for the better, yeah. ultimately. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and how when he's not surrounded by them in Squidville, he ends up 
having a blast with the reef blower, of course, as they call it in SpongeBob. Um, yeah, and, he ends up being the more animated, the more yeah. lively figure yeah. in that town. And everybody's looking at him like he's the SpongeBob of the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And, and he, he becomes a SpongeBob. It's funny. I feel like a lot of us are minor annoyances in our day to day. They also provide a sense of comfort because they are constants in our lives. And they do provide some contrast to when we get our peace and quiet or when we have just full control over a situation. You, you have to have moments where you don't have that too to, to appreciate it and to get enjoyment, to feel like there's any plot going on in your life. There, there's got to be things going wrong and not your way. And I think uh, the, the show did a really good job of portraying that. Yeah, SpongeBob and Squidward. It's just coming to my mind right now. It's like a yin and yang. You can't have one without the other and they complement each other so well. Looping it back around to the conversation about capitalism in the show, another episode that comes to mind is Squid on Strike, which is wonderful. That episode is, is about unions. It's about, I mean, Squidward, it's in the title, right? Squid on Strike, Squidward goes on strike and demands better working conditions and spongebob joins him you have to watch specifically the speech that squidward gives it sounds like it was out of the communist manifesto it is brilliant and the parents loved that moment because they got exactly what this is an example of it's also just a comedic moment in the show of, of Mr. Krabs being a dick and, and not caring about his employees and them getting fed up by it and, and going on strike. And of course, doesn't work out and strikes a failure because that's uh, that's how things usually go for Squidward. It, it is probably the classic example of an episode that I did not fully appreciate as a kid. Yeah. And it's especially timely right now mm -hmm. uh, in the world of media because of the writer strike that is happening right now. Some of the writers from SpongeBob may be striking at this very moment. But yeah, it's a, it's a very poignant episode. And to think that that was in a children's TV show, once again, they did not think that the audience was so stupid that they would not be able to at least get the gist of what Squidward was upset about and why yeah. he was dissatisfied with how he was treated at work. Right, yeah. The show respects its audience. It respects the intelligence of the people watching. And very sad to watch what the show has become now, but I think that makes me appreciate the beauty of those beginning seasons of just like how much they were able to convey in those 11 minutes without resorting to kind of those cheap tactics that you see now. Well, that reminds me of a question that I've been wanting to ask you as we start to wind down. If you know this franchise, if you know the legacy of this show, one of the recurrent conversations that's happening as the show goes on is like, oh, the show fell off in this season or the mm -hmm. show fell off after this episode. As somebody that sees the show as fondly as you do, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, when do you feel like the show became something different and turned it into something that you maybe appreciate less than you did those initial seasons? I've mentioned a few times the first three seasons, which I, I do consider that the golden era of SpongeBob. There is not a single miss in those three seasons. It is it is banger after banger after banger. And that is in large part thanks to Steven Hillenburg, the creator of SpongeBob, who is the big creative presence on the team. 
And then he worked on the movie while they were producing seasons four or five around then. Um, and I would say seasons four and five are hit and miss. There are some outstanding episodes there. After that, it falls off. I mentioned that one episode in, in season nine, and I watched that only because it had been recommended to me. But sometimes I've just gone on Paramount Plus and tried to watch newer or, or really just post season five SpongeBob episodes. And that's around, I think, when it just completely fell off. I guess once in a blue moon, they did have a good episode like that the automated robot replacing Sponge. I mean, it was just it was a smart episode, you know, well written. I wouldn't I wouldn't compare it to seasons one to three because it did have some of that cheap gag slapstick kind of stuff that, that I don't love in the new SpongeBob. But maybe there are more of those I would like to hear from fans who have tried to keep up in recent seasons if there are any that folks would recommend but it's tough i don't really want to sit through what the show has become to to find any diamonds in the rough i don't know that's so fascinating to me and i i've referenced this in previous episodes i feel like with each generation there's going to be a golden age of a particular property that you just adore yeah. and I'm very fascinated to hear what this younger generation is going to say about SpongeBob, since this is one of the few shows that has transcended different generations, right? So yeah. there are still new episodes being produced. Kids are still watching. And so I'm excited in the next few years to hear like what episodes really stuck with them, because I don't know what they're doing with reruns, if they're playing some of the earliest episodes, or if they're staying closer to what spongebob has become all of the most iconic spongebob memes and images are from those seasons i don't i can't think of any like i you, you tell me a, a spongebob meme and like i know what episode it's from I, I can't i can't think of any that is like oh that was probably like after i stopped watching so if they haven't watched it they still will recognize some images from it because they are everywhere if you go onto the internet you're gonna see some spongebob memes from seasons one to three god i love those memes truly the life's blood of the internet these days it is it is yeah all right so as we wrap this conversation up firstly i want to thank you alex for coming onto the show and taking a chance on this fledgling host and this fledgling show you have faith in what I'm trying to do. And when I accept my first major award, I will certainly be thanking you. Uh, you better. But, of, course, of course I will. Before we go out, I want to ask you one last question. I want to know, has SpongeBob SquarePants been a source of community for you? And how important is it for you to share your love and appreciation for this show with the people around you? Mm -hmm. So it has absolutely been a source of community for me in uh, college was the first time I rewatched the show and, and understood the appeal of the show to adults um, because I hadn't watched it since I was maybe nine or 10 years old. I didn't watch it too much in my teenage high school years. It was kind of like an early mid childhood kind of thing. So I watched it in college and actually made some of my first college friends just watching old Spongebob episodes in a dorm room, just laughing together and, and dissecting it the way that, that you and I have in this conversation, you know, and in a way that just made me appreciate it a lot more. And 
and I'm very passionate about talking about SpongeBob and sharing those episodes with people, especially if there are people who haven't revisited it the same way. You know, I can watch those episodes time and time again, and they don't get old to me. And I, I like sharing them with people. It's a, a universally recognized and loved show, but I think it's one that we can really bond as a generation over. God, I totally agree with you. Any final takeaways that you want to leave the audience with about the show, about your connection to it, something to leave us with? Mm, I would say go back and watch it. I mean, that's the takeaway. I've said that probably a dozen times already, but it's interesting to me. And maybe this is a me thing and my own weak attention span, but like little things that I notice watching SpongeBob episodes each time I watch them. And it might be about the animation, it might be about the actual content of the episode and the, the script and the characters. And you know, there, there's just something in SpongeBob. It, it had that formula just right, a show that was generation defining. And I think we can continue to appreciate it to this day. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again, Alex, for talking about this wonderful show with me. And to the audience, I want to say stay tuned because we are going right into ad break. Welcome back to Retrospection Connection. We are hopping right into ad break. Alex, are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and just give me your honest reaction to them. Okay. All right. So firstly, what is something that you would tell your younger self, that version of you that first mm -hmm. watched SpongeBob SquarePants? What is important for them to know in that moment? I would say, and I think this, this speaks to the show itself and that SpongeBob Squidward dynamic we were talking about, that you will never be as free as you were, as, as you are as a kid. You know, I'm telling my younger self this, as free of a spirit. And that's kind of, counterintuitive because you're also never less free than you are as a kid you have a bedtime you have rules you have parents and teachers and authority figures who are usually controlling what that structure is in your life but that free spirit there's something about the ability to be a kid and, and not having anyone tell you act your own age and you can you can have a bad day and throw a fit about it or you can be loud and rambunctious and and no one questions it there's just something beautiful about that and the ability to express everything that you're thinking and feeling that sadly is lost in adulthood but doesn't have to be i mean i think in certain professional settings maybe it does have to be but I think SpongeBob is the perfect embodiment of this adult who lives in, in some dimensions of his life, an adult life, but also has the childlike excitement and wonder that we shouldn't lose, that we should hold on to. You know, I would tell that kid, hold on to that because the world is gonna try and make you lose it, but you don't have to. You don't have to. One of those things that's easier said than done and experienced, but I really like the contrast that you outlined of being a kid, because on one hand, your life is very prescriptive. People are telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. But there's this openness to all the possibilities that your life can hold. And I think as you get older and you start to make more concrete choices that determine where your life goes, you can feel like 
that window of opportunity is getting a little bit smaller each day. And I think it's important. And I really like what you said, because I certainly have to remind myself that there's still so much opportunity. And yeah, I'm I'm young. So that is just true. But even when you get older, there's so much range for the places that your life can go. And I, I just want us all to be open to being surprised by the new doors that can open, even as we get older. Yeah. All right. What's something you're doing that's making you feel like a kid again? <laughs> this one um, also has to do with media. And it's uh, I grew up in a household that was very music centric. My dad's a DJ. So, um, you know, when when the TV wasn't on or um, there wasn't another activity or, or anything happening, there was always music. Um, which I'm very grateful to have had that in my upbringing, but it's, it was different from a lot of the music that I listen to now. And a big artist actually in my childhood was Fountains of Wayne, who if you're not familiar, you definitely are. Uh, Stacy's mom, that's Fountains of Wayne. Um, so that, that was just like one of the artists, one of the bands that was pretty iconic to my childhood that bonded my family. Like if we were going on road trips, we would play Fountains of Wayne albums. And I, you know, that was never really like lost in my life. I, I always, especially going home, um, would, would listen to a lot of the music that um, I, I grew grown up listening to because it just has that same presence now in my, my parents' house uh, as it did growing up. But now living alone and, uh, you know, listening to a lot of music outside of the stuff that I grew up with um, recently. I, I did a deep dive as uh, I'm sure my parents did while I was a kid um, into just like album after album of Fountains of Wayne. It did make me feel like a kid. It has that nostalgic attachment to it for me. So that's dope. Yeah, I feel like music has this transportive quality about it. It can make you feel things that you once felt like when you were listening to that song or that album for the first time. So it makes a whole lot of sense yeah. that, that that band can make you feel like a kid again. All right. You good for one more question? I'm good. This is more of a fun one. So folks that know Alex knows that he does these fun, what do you want to call them? Surveys? What are they? Public opinion tournaments. I I haven't come up with a catchy title for it. It always has a different name. You do a lot of different cool tournaments and it gets the community on Instagram involved and it's such a fun time. This question is related to this latest tournament that you're doing. What is your favorite TV theme song? Feel free to take a second uh, to think about it. I've had many seconds to think about it because while I have had this tournament, a lot of people have asked me for my own takes on this. <laughs> I can't give one answer. Wow. Uh, the, so the finals of the tournament um, and it's not, uh, we're, we're at just the finals now, so we don't have a winner. By the time you're listening to this, we probably will have crowned a winner. Uh, but the finals is between SpongeBob SquarePants and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I think are both very deserving um, of that That's final. Hard. Oh, wow. Wow, this is hard. I think uh, up there for me is Wizards of Waverly Place. I love the Wizards theme song. I think that outro is like, just like those five notes. Doo, 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 doo. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. that is, is such a catchy intro. It's hard to say though. I So, okay, I'm going to give you two. This is cheating, I know. Wizards That's of Waverly cool. Place 
and the white lotus and i i, I know what y'all are thinking recency bias white lotus just because it was like memed for a month recently you know you can take me up on that ask me five ten years from now i think it's one of the best i i really really like the white lotus specifically season two theme song so those are gonna be my two hey that's okay and only time will tell that's one of the cool things about theme songs you have to give it time to settle because mm-hmm. that's when you learn which ones are iconic and which ones are forgettable. I think now it's what been 16 years since Wizards of Waverly Place premiered. And wow. I think we can conclusively say that that is an iconic theme song, yeah. certainly for our generation. Yeah. And, um, and for those who don't know, Bad Guy, Billie Eilish, um, she, she cited uh the wizards theme song as one of the influences of that song that is so cool like a very contemporary popular song from a person that grew up at that time watching that show god it's just a cool full circle moment i I love stuff like that what is your favorite theme song of all time excuse me i'm the interviewer you don't get to ask me (laughs) yeah but no i don't know (laughs) let's see if I had to choose, yeah, it's hard because we've had this debate about like what's more iconic on a macro level versus what's more memorable and meaningful to me personally. If I had to say, I'd probably choose the That's So Raven theme song. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. partially just because of my attachment to the show as a mm-hmm. whole. That's So Raven, for folks that haven't seen it, is a 2003 sitcom from the Disney Channel absolutely phenomenal show and that theme song sets the tone yeah. so well i think it's yeah. fair to vote for something because you like the show and like i think the theme song is also just like what it makes you feel and what it makes you feel is like the association with the show so wow i, l- I love your perspective how open-minded of you well yeah, i want to give that- the power to voters amen you should be president let's get into that I, I will empower you and, and you've already felt it. If you are a, an Alex Love follower on Instagram, you know what it means to be an empowered voter. So show that same energy for me on the ballot box. I got you. <laughs> but with that being said, I think this is a wrap. Thank you so much once again, Alex, for being such an excellent guest. And if you are open to it, I would love to have you on several more times yes absolutely this is yeah this is just the beginning i i have a lot of shows that i watched my childhood and this was uh probably the most iconic one but but i love to be back and thank you um, so much for having me on as a guest of course well i hope you have a fantastic day thank you all righty bye bye